verse 3. song are so true, amen. Oftentimes we needlessly carry around things on our, our minds, on our hearts, burdens that we just need to let go. Amen. I hope that everyone here today would take advantage of this time, amen. Whatever's troubling you, friend, I hope that you can find the peace for your soul, amen, and that connection with Jesus, amen. That's my desire. I hope you're with me, amen. Let's sing the song together. There is none like you, amen. I love this song. There is none like you No one else can touch my heart like you do Oh, I could search for all eternity, Lord 
can find there is none like you oh there is none like you no one else can touch my heart like you do and I could search for all eternity, Lord, and find there is none like you. Raise your hands and worship with me now. Oh, there is none like you, my Jesus. No one else can touch my heart like you do. And I could search for all eternity, Lord, and find there is none like you. I give my mind completely to you, Lord. Oh, fill me with your thoughts and make my life. Let me live in all that's true. Oh, I just want to be like you. I just want to be like you. 
God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me, and He will be my God. Holding closely to his side, love and strength for each new day, he will make a way. God will make a way. Oh, God will make a seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. Oh, and He will be my God, holding closely to His side. With love and strength for each new day, He will make a way. God will make a way. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's sing this song together. Every praise is to our God. Amen. Every praise is to our God. Every word of worship in one accord, every praise, every praise, oh, it's to our God. Sing hallelujah to our God, oh, glory, hallelujah to our God. Every praise, every praise, oh, it's to our God. God, my Savior, God, my healer, God, my deliverer, yes, He is, yes, He is, He's God, my Savior, God, my healer, and God, my deliverer. Yes, He is. Yes, He is. And every praise is to our God. Oh, every word of worship in one of God. Every praise, every praise. Oh, it's to our God. Sing hallelujah to our God. Oh, glory, hallelujah. It's to our God. Every praise, every praise, oh, it's to our God. And God, my Savior, God, my healer, God, my deliverer, yes, He is, yes, He is, and God, my Savior. God, 
God, my healer, God, my deliverer, yes, He is, yes, He is, and every praise is to our God, oh, and every word of worship and wonderful, every praise, every praise, oh, it's to our God. Sing hallelujah to our God, oh glory, hallelujah. Every praise, every praise, oh, it's to our God. And God, my Savior, God, my healer, and God, my deliverer. Yes, He is. Yes, He is. And God, my Savior. And God, my healer. And God, my deliverer. Yes, He is. Yes, He is. Come on, give Him a hand. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. How great is our God, the splendor of a king. The splendor of a king. Clothed in majesty. Let all the earth rejoice. All the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light. Oh, and darkness tries. Too high and trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. How great is our God! Sing with me, how great is our God! No, we'll see how great, how great is our God. And time is in his hand, beginning and the end, beginning and the end. The bride in Christ are one, united time has come, and soon we're going home. Soon we're going home. How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. Oh, we'll see how great, how great is our God. Name above all names. Oh, name above. All name, you are worthy of all praise. Oh, my heart will see how great is our God again now. Hallelujah! Oh, name above all name, you are worthy of all. Praise. 
and my heart will sing how great is our God how great is our God amen and how great is our God sing with me how great is our God and oh we'll see how great how great is our God let's sing name above all names again oh name above all names oh you are worthy of all praise and my heart will sing how great is our God again now hallelujah hallelujah oh name above all name Lord you are worthy of all praise and my heart how great is our God. Once again, how great is our God. And how great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. All will see how great, how great is our God. Worship you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Oh, you sound so nice this morning. Amen. Thank you for singing like that. Amen. I know if that sounds so good where I'm at, imagine what your heavenly Father thinks when you sing to Him that way. Amen. Hallelujah. We're going to change the service at this time. We have many needs this morning that we need to take before the throne. I'm going to ask Brother Andy Irish if he would make his way forward to take these needs to the Lord for us. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to remember our pastor's wife, Sister Becky. Prayer still recovering. Amen. Uh, please remember uh, Sister Carrie, uh, the Whitlock family. Brother David is here. Amen. But I think the family is at home, not feeling well. If you remember them in prayer. Uh, amen. I, I don't see the Paschal family with us. I have a request here to remember them in prayer. Amen. If you'd remember Sister Sarah Buchanan in prayer, she's dealing with bronchitis. Man, God would touch her, man, her body. And remember Brother uh, Peter and his family. They're not here with us today. Man, also the Drum family uh, requesting prayer. We also have a request for the Harwell family as well. To remember them in prayer. Amen. Brother Mike and Sister Angie are not with us today. I think the family uh, is at a, attending a funeral in Georgia. Keep them in your prayers. Amen. Traveling mercies. Uh, I have a request here from Brother Richard for his uh, his wife, Sister Mary, in prayer. Amen. Also, he states he has a, uh, a cousin who's had stage 4 cancer. Amen. Stage 4 cancer in his lungs and his throat. He's taking treatments. Amen. His name is Brother Tommy Boston. And he's requesting prayer for that. Amen. We'll remember that brother in special prayer. Amen. 
have a uh, report on a little Evelyn Sylvester, Brother Andrew, and Caitlin's a little girl. Um, she's doing better, still in the hospital, um, but definitely doing better. We want to continue to remember that situation in prayer and that they could take their little baby home soon. Amen. That's all I have at this time. Do you have unspoken prayer requests on your heart? Amen. By uplifted hands. God knows your need, friend. And we're going to be praying with you. Our precious and lovely Lord Jesus, we bow our heads, Lord. We humbly come before the throne of grace and mercy. And by faith, Lord, we lay our hands upon the Lamb of God. We ask, Father, that you'd forgive us. Forgive us for anything we've done wrong, Lord, in thought, in word, in deed, and cover us in your blood, Father. And as we approach you this morning, Father, we just ask that you hear us through that blood, Father, that was shed for us at Calvary, because we have faith in that blood, Lord Jesus. Father, we have faith in your word, and we have faith, Father God, that you heard the voice of these supplications. Lord, the people that are sick, the people that are suffering, the people that are mourning, Father, we would ask that the Son of Righteousness would arise with healing in His wings and minister to those that are in need, Father. And Lord, there may be some here, there may be some that are listening, that are suffering, Lord, maybe in body, maybe in mind, but they're suffering in silence, Lord. Lord, let them know that they're not silent, Father. There is an unseen force. There is an unseen one that can come and minister to them. That great physician who had said that I am the Lord thy God and I will heal all thy diseases. And Father, we would ask as we change the order of the service, that as the man of God who would stand behind this sacred desk, Lord, you would push out of our minds thoughts of yesterday, thoughts of tomorrow, and you would help us to zero in on the, the most important thing, to commune with you today, Lord Jesus. Help us, Father. Move the man out of the way and let our expectation not be from our pastor, but let it be from the very throne room of God. And we will give you all the glory and the honor. And we ask it all in the most holy and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Brendan. You can have your seats. Amen. Brother Keith has a special for us this morning. Amen. Brother Keith. Message last week, and uh, I couldn't help but think as I was sitting there, and he was talking about how the uh, the maniac had come up, and that uh, a demon that was in him had spoke to to Christ and asked Christ if he would just allow him to go into the swine. And, and I was sitting there and I was thinking, I said, you know, we serve such a compassionate God that a demon even made a request, and he answered that demon's request. How much more will he do for his children that he, a, a, a son or a daughter of God? And you know, we're going through all these trials and everything seems so tough, and, but we know what the end result's going to be. I want to do this, uh, this song. Brother Larry always used to really like this song. Though so often this road is rough and rocky, still I know what lies ahead. 
is straight and narrow, but it leads to a better home. It was paved by Christ one day at Calvary, while He suffered all alone. Now this road may lead over many high mountains and valleys dark and low. But I walk each day with sweet assurance that I'll safely reach my goal. And ahead, there is joy and gladness and rest for my weary soul. Ahead, there is peace and contentment where everybody will be happy and whole. You know that I'll be at home with Jesus where tears will never be shed. Although so often this road gets rough and rocky, still I know what lies ahead. How many can relate to this? Now while on this road I get so weary, and often my feet would stray. But the gentle hand still leads me onward and helps me to find my way. As I climb each hill and cross each valley by His hand, I'm daily led. And I won't look back, I'm gonna keep right on walking because I know what lies ahead. And ahead, there is joy and gladness and rest for my weary soul. Ahead, there is peace and contentment and everybody will be happy and whole. You know that I'll be at home with Jesus where tears will never be shed. Although so often this road gets rough and rocky, still I know what lies ahead. Ahead, there is joy and gladness and rest for my weary soul. Ahead, there is peace and contentment, but everybody will be happy and whole. You know that I'll be at home with Jesus, where tears will never be shed. Though so often this road gets rough and rocky, still I know what lies ahead. Though so often this road gets rough and rocky, still I know what lies ahead. Hallelujah. Appreciate that special, Brother Keith. Amen. Let's stand. I believe all hearts are ready for the Word. Amen. That's the most important thing that we could hope for. Amen. Is the Word of God. Amen. We've, we've tilled the soil. Amen. It's time for the seed to be planted. Amen. Let's sing this song together.
key of G in Christ alone. Place my trust and find my glory. Power of the cross. Amen. In Christ alone, place my trust and find my glory in the power of the cross. In every victory, let it be said of me, my source of strength, my source of hope is Christ alone. In Christ alone will I glory, though I could pride myself in battles won. I've been blessed beyond measure, and by His strength alone I overcome. Oh, I could stop and count successes like diamonds in my hands, but those trophies could not equal the grace by which I stand in Christ alone I place my trust and find my glory in the power of the cross in every victory let it be said of me, my source of strength, my source of hope is Christ alone. In Christ alone do I glory, for only by His grace I am redeemed. For only tender mercy could reach beyond my weakness to my need. And now I seek no greater honor to just know Him more and to count my gains as losses to the glory of my Lord in Christ alone I place my trust and find my glory in the power of the cross in every victory let it be said of me my source of strength, my source of hope is Christ alone. Sing that again now. Christ alone. I place my trust and find my glory in the power of the cross. And every 
for a moment. We'll let our musicians take their places there too. Keith, why don't you just hang on uh, there if you don't mind. We'll let the others take their seats there. And uh, we welcome all of you in the name of the Lord Jesus this morning. It's good to have all of you in the house of God and um, kind of a, a, a different setting for us. But uh, I mean, it sounds sounds uh, just as good and worshipful as uh, as it always has, even though the sound is different in this place. And the music uh, sounds a little bit different. Uh, I had, uh, matter of fact, we had some people who were streaming, uh, and they were uh, they were commenting on how the sound is as good, uh, the the you know the audio is as good or better than what it was in the sanctuary. So hey, maybe we could turn it into a fellowship hall over there. I don't know. Um, not really, not really. But we are uh, honored to be here this morning. We certainly miss everyone who is not here and uh, uh, pray for them, especially those who are sick this morning. We want to remember uh, Sister Becky, who's just been, she's had a, a bad couple of days uh, and um, just really want to hold her up in prayer, if you don't mind. Just been difficult for her. I think uh, Jaron's got most of her prayer requests there. Also as well, Stephen Sarah. Uh, who are home today, and uh, we want to hold them up in prayer, especially uh, just going through a bit of a, a tough time, and we want to pray that the Lord will undertake for them. Uh, I want to say it's good to have Brother Smith with us uh, this morning. God bless you, Brother Smith. Good to have you here. Nobody shake his hand, but uh, we are glad to have you with us today. Brother Bill, God bless you. Good to have you here today as well. Uh, traveling a lot. Good to have Hughes uh, with us and each and every one. Goodness, uh, it's just uh, great to see everybody. The Ivies, good to have them back, and uh, may the Lord richly bless you. Um, the the Pritchard, Ben and Rachel, good to have them here as well this morning. Now, I, I, here's what I want to do. I mean, we're going to remember some of these prayer requests here, and I'm going to have you stand again. But if you don't mind, bring this up, and I want to just show you a couple of things here uh, before we get too far into this. Uh, this is uh, anniversaries. This is the one week of the year where we just have anniversaries. And Joel and Crystal, anniversary, their anniversary is tomorrow. Uh, the Johnsons, they're not here today. They're away for their anniversary, and so we wish them all the best. Uh, December 10th is Josh and Kristen Godwin's anniversary. How many years? Four years. God bless you both. We are also honored to be able to say and delighted to be able to say that Sister Kristen is 12 weeks along. No complications, and we're just really happy and excited for you, Sister Kristen. So we will continue to pray that all goes well, and uh, glad to hear that. Uh, the Pascals had their anniversary on the 12th. They're not here today. Brother Joe's had, got to work, and uh, we miss them, but uh, wish them all the best on their anniversary as well this year. Now, uh, just wanted to give you an update. Uh, some of you have seen some of these pictures. I don't know who's seen what pictures uh, anymore, there's, there's so many and just so many exciting things that are happening around the world. Uh, but I'd like to be able to bring you a few at least on Sunday. And uh, with uh, Brother Aaron's help uh, this, uh, in this particular project in Zimbabwe, uh, we've just been really blessed to be able to uh, place Bibles there immediately. And uh, electronically, for instance, uh, 
I uh, were able to, people are able to send me funds by PayPal. I can transfer them to Brother Aaron. He can instantly transfer them to Zimbabwe. And because he's, you're still a citizen of Zimbabwe. Because he's a citizen, he has no restrictions in terms of the money being sent into Zimbabwe. If I send funds there, it, it goes through several steps and processes in order for that money to be released in the country. But because he's a citizen, they can withdraw that money over there immediately, go down to the shop and purchase Bibles. And uh, we're at almost $13,000 now, I think, that we've, we've shipped over there and uh, gotten Bibles to the people. And they're just, they're just delighted. These are people outside of Harare. They're, they're out in the, in the countryside. And uh, you can see some of the background here. This is a husband and wife, uh, I think. And um, they're, they're receiving their Bible. So these are in rural areas. So what Brother Aaron has done is put together a map highlighting all of the different spots where these Bibles are being given out. And, of course, this is outdated almost as soon as he gets it done because there's more ministers who are traveling around, pastors who are getting Bibles and then giving it to their assemblies and being handed around. So this is the nation of Zimbabwe here. And uh, just, just, I just wanted to show you the dots on the map. Here is where Zimbabwe is. Um, if you look in, the, in this right here, in the southern, in the southern part of Africa, uh, this is right above South Africa and right below uh, Zambia. So those are two places that we're familiar with. And uh, with Brother Aaron's help, we've just been able to get uh, Bibles quickly, very quickly, uh, into the hands of the people over there. So it's just, just a real delight to be able to uh, see that happening so fast. And as we speak, uh, we have the, uh, some of the English church-age books. There are 10,000 of them that are coming uh, to South Africa and Zimbabwe. They'll hit the same time. And also in Ghana, where Brother Caleb is from. And uh, so they'll be coming there all three at the same time. And then, of course, going to England as well. And uh, we're excited about that. So for those people over there, and especially in the rural area of, of Zimbabwe, and there are thousands of believers in Zimbabwe. Do you have an estimate? How many? Many. I mean, there's nothing in Harare for them to have five and ten thousand people, five thousand in a in a church, and you know there's not many churches that size, but there's there's some. And uh, Brother Paula Fontaine was there a couple of years ago and visited, and there was ten thousand who were there gathered in Harare for meetings. And uh, there's just many many believers in that country, so it's great to be able to minister to them and uh, be able to supply some of the needs there. So this is one village where some of the people received uh, some of the Bibles there, and uh, they were just pretty excited and pretty delighted. Uh, and uh, I got some of their pictures here. You can see it's all the same background. And uh, for families, that's a life changer, you know, for them to have that for $5. And uh, it's really great. Uh, I didn't have the little – Do we? I don't think we had the video clip with the, uh, the fellow – yeah, okay, so let's put it on here. Now, what, they're going to cue it here for us, but this is one brother who is in a whole I'll just pause him. He's in a rural area. You've got to give us volume here, uh, if you will. But he's in a rural area, and these would be farmers, okay? And, and they have about, uh, because they're working agriculturally, they work, make about a dollar a day uh, in, in their income. So over a month, they would probably have about $30. Uh, as an income. So for them to pay $5 for a Bible is completely out of reach. So this is what he's saying here. He's just given thanks to us for being able to have his own Bible. And uh, 
Go ahead. Let's see if we can hear it. He's almost there. It's a long way from Zimbabwe. If we don't have it, If we don't have it, we'll get it. We had this, I, I sent this uh, yesterday to just a number of ministers. I sent, sent it to some uh, young people here, I think, in their Sunday school class. And they were, they were just uh, really blessed by it. And he, all, he's, all he's doing is just sending a word of thanks uh, from, from that village. That's all right, Jeremy, if we don't have it. I'll, I'll, I'll attach it to an update or something. We'll, we'll let you hear it. It'll be all right? It's not always, it's not always easiest to do. So let's, let's go back to where we were, if you will. And all right, let's, let's take it from here. So, these are the, this is the people in that particular village. Now, I want to switch gears and show you something else. This is Honduras, and now these books are, re- are being received up into the uh, rural areas in Honduras, you know, up in the mountain area up there. And this is one pastor, Brother George Smith, told me, been in the message many, many years, and uh, they were receiving books up in that uh, part of the world. They're very excited, and they wanted to convey their thanks today. They said they sent back a note to Brother George, to me, to you, to thank you for the, uh, for the blessing of having the books in their language. And this is a new format that Brother George uh, d- has done. We're working on the seals now as well in that format for them. Here's a picture that I wanted to show you. This is Brother Anwar in Lahore after seven years. Uh, he's back in Lahore and uh, was really excited there. There was a, a, an entourage who met him at the airport, and uh, this is his brother on the right, uh, Munir, and uh, then Pastor who, uh, Pastor Masi, who uh, kind of took over Anwar's church in Lahore. Uh, they were all there, and the family all came out at, uh, at Lahore. So he's got a very full schedule and uh, been going to be traveling around the country and uh, ministering to lots of different people. Everybody wants to see him. Everybody wants to have him at their church. Everybody wants to, you know, shake his hand. And uh, so we, I just told him that we would sure be praying for him and trusting that the Lord will uh, protect him and uh, honor his visit over there. So let's stand to our feet this morning, and uh, we're going to sing. that. Uh, I'd like to sing the little chorus, Only Believe, uh, just one time there, Brother Keith, if you don't mind. And, um just go to him in prayer um, want to remember Sister Sherry Holly uh, Sister Tracy Rabin and uh, the others that we've mentioned today especially those that are dealing with the virus and we're just trusting that the Lord will uh, give them strength and the healing touch that they need let's sing them one time and then we'll go to prayer only be possible 
hearts now. Jesus, we believe you are here among us today, and Lord, your presence is so comforting to us. We sense your presence among us here today, and may now you just just bless us, I pray, with just that, that anointing, that presence that comes, Lord, in the hearing of the word. Lord, it's been good for us to talk about the things that are being done in the rest of the world, and how people are receiving Bibles, Lord, and books and things, and those things are great, and Lord, we're thankful for Brother Anwar and his his courage in going back to his country, to his people again. And we just ask your special blessing upon him. But Lord, this morning as we're gathered here, Lord, the very best thing that we could have is just that unction that gives us an understanding of the book in a supernatural way. Not in a natural intellectual way, but in a supernatural way. And Lord, you can just sow the word in our hearts like seeds, that they might grow to become great strong trees in our life. Change us, I pray. Transform us. Because we know the powers of Satan exist to resist the transformation of the hearts and minds of the bride of Christ. But Lord, we stand against that today. and We pray, Lord, that you would just minister to each and every heart and soul. We curse this virus that exists in our world in the name of Jesus Christ and believe, Lord, that you're still a healer today no matter what anyone is going through. And so we commit every person, Lord, who's struggling with that today, we commit them into your care. Many have suffered long and in difficult and unusual ways. But, Lord, we know that you're still a healer today the same as you ever were, and we believe that. So bless your people, Lord, abundantly. We give them to you. We ask you to bless our congregation today, Lord, and thank you for each one who's here. And we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And amen. And all the brides said, Amen. All right. Let's take your Bibles, if you will, and let's go to two places in the Scripture. And uh, give me the PowerPoint back up, Second Peter, first of all, and we'll read there. And then we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians in chapter 1. And I'm going to ask you to keep your Bible open in First in First Corinthians this morning. Now, on Wednesday night, I started this uh, little thought on the subject that we've been studying on Wednesday nights on our default understanding of things. And I don't know how many of you were listening. We had some here, and I don't know how many were listening. But I wanted to. Uh, we 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 got. Um, uh, the, lo and behold, the, the the time ran out, and so I wanted to pick it up and clarify a few things uh, from Wednesday night. So that's what we're going to do today. In uh, This is the eighth part of that little series that we've been doing. Second Peter chapter 1. And let's read these two verses here. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power has given unto us all things. Say it with me. All things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. Let's read there, and I wanted to grab a little uh, phrase there. 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, and verse 1 and 2. Paul 
called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. How many of you are called to be saints? Called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. May the Lord add his blessing. You may be seated this morning. Sister Karen, Sister uh, Shirley, it's good to have you with us uh, today. We've missed you as well, and and good to see you here today. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on review uh, on this subject here because we've been dealing with it. And uh, if you followed along at all, some of the premises are very simple. I'll give you a couple uh, screens just just to uh, make sure that we're all on the same page and and operating in the same gear. But uh, let me just uh, wade into this this morning here and just see where the Lord takes us today. Uh, I've got a number of scriptures that I want to read. I've got some of them that are on the screen, but I'm going to ask you to turn to a few of them because there's some really great uh, principles that are found. Uh, in in uh, this little passage of scripture that we're going to be reading, now First Corinthians chapter six is where we're uh, where we're going to be focused, uh, but we'll we'll come to that in just a little bit here. Uh, I, I was I was noticing some of the songs and some of the things that were sung this morning here as we were uh, beginning and opening up here, and um, I, I told you last Sunday I was listening to uh, that sermon, "Perfect Strength by Perfect Weakness," and. Uh, which is really paradoxical. It's, it's kind of a, uh, that's, that's not how we think that, uh, you know, Brother Branham said that we make excuses for our weaknesses all the time. But he said, in a sense, that's the opposite of how God views it. Uh, God actually, God actually looks, uh, for our weaknesses. He, he, he looks for those because he can use those for his glory. When it, when it's, it's a weakness in us, God can use that to project or to, uh, to, to minister to people, uh, through that weakness that we have. And so very often we're apologetic for our weaknesses. Uh, God, God actually will take them and use them in a great way, in ways that we can never even imagine. And so that's a good thing. Jeremy, I never forgot the, the clip here, but at the end we'll do that. All right? Uh, we'll do one more clip. Now, I just want to say this, that when it comes to strength, our strength that we have really is in, is in faith. Our, our strength comes by faith, and it comes by agreement with God and his word. Remember, God is attracted to people of faith, because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so the store source of strength that we have is in the faith that we have and in the agreement we have with God and his principles. It does not have anything to do with physical strength. I'm glad for that. You're not strong in, in, in faith because you're physically strong. You're not strong in faith because you have a lot of mental or emotional strength. Because there are times when we, we've run, we run out of that. Isn't that true? There are times when physically you don't have, you don't feel like you can put another foot in front of another one. Or, you, you know, mentally or emotionally. You know, when I think of some things that people who have this virus have been through and watching them go through it. I mean, it, it's, we, in a sense, uh, we've used up our mental uh, and emotional resources that we have, strength that we have. But let me tell you something. Uh, that does not mean that a person can't be strong in faith because... Faith, uh, faith muscles are different than natural muscles. And so therefore, 
the, the strength that we need to have in Christ is not dependent on your physical ability or even your emotional ability. It's not dependent on that at all. Faith is what pleases God. And faith is a deliberate confidence in the character of God. I think I said this to you before. Faith is a confidence in the character of God, a deliberate confidence in the character of God, whose ways you may not fully understand at the time. There are things that God does uh, that we don't fully understand or fully grasp. But yet we believe somehow God's doing something. We believe that God's at work. We believe that God answers prayer. Right? We may not see it. We may not understand what we're going through at the moment. But yet we believe by faith God is doing something. And God is attracted to that. He's, he's attracted to that more than he's attracted to physical need. If God was only attracted to physical need, then countries like Haiti or Mozambique or uh, very poor countries in the world, uh, they'd be rich in resources, right? If God was only attracted to physical need. That's not being callous, but the scripture says that, by, that, that uh, God delights in those that have faith in him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so when we come to him on that basis and we have a need in our life and we have faith that God's able to meet that need and God's working and God's all-powerful, how many believe that God's all-powerful? And, and God's a supplier. He's still Jehovah Jireh, right? He's all of those things. Let me tell you, that attracts the heart of God. That, that speaks to the heart of God. And he delights in that. And so therefore, uh, in, 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 a, in a very uh, scenarial way, we, we find agreement with what Brother Branham said right here. All true prophets, all true Christians, all true believers stay with the word. No matter what anybody says, you stay with the word. Because, let me tell you something. That's what God sees in us, an obedience and a faith and a confidence in his word. That's what God loves. Now, also as well, we find uh, in the scripture, uh, or we find in our little series that we've been working on here, that something that is a default is uh, something that exists or happens just because uh, it's there from the creation of it, and it may not uh, be put there intentionally. It is a selection made usually automatically without active consideration. That's different than an absolute. An absolute is something that is regarded as universally true. And uh, we, we, we know, we, we've studied and looked at many different things that are absolute, but we've also uh, understood that there are things that, you know, people who maybe come through churches all their life, maybe in a denominational system or something else, and there's certain beliefs, certain doctrines, certain things that they have uh, that are default beliefs. It's just the way the church believes it. Lots of people believe by default that God is three, right? That God is three persons. By default, there's a lot of people just grow up believing that, and it, it's just the way that it's been set in their church. That's the doctrine or the teaching and the belief that's set and propagated in that church. God never likes it when we contest him, but he's not afraid to contest our beliefs in his word. God's not afraid to challenge our understanding. Isn't that right? God doesn't like you to challenge him, but he, he, he's not afraid to challenge us. And, and when it comes to believing things that are not correct or not scriptural, not things that are eternal, God's not afraid to challenge that and to bring us truth because the truth is the thing that sets us free. And God wants us to be right and to make it to the right place at the right time. So one of the things we talked about is how that uh, life comes and things grow from seeds. 
all through the scripture we find that. And uh, we find in Ephesians chapter 4 here, and I use this graphic, that we be henceforth no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, and this is Paul speaking to the New Testament church, speaking the truth in love that they may grow up. They may grow up as a church and go through the various stages of growth until we come down to the end age. But you also as an individual need to grow as well from an infant, somebody who's newly converted, all the way to someone who is mature and ready to step into that kingdom. Uh, we, we have looked at this, and Paul says that we may grow up in, into him, in him in all things, even which is the head, which is Christ. So this growth of the new man begins by this incorruptible seed. We already know what the corruptible seed birth causes, but the incorruptible seed causes uh, the birth of the new man. And so Brother Branham said, now that's not just one from, from one revival to another. He said that's everlasting life. That's forever. That's imperishable. When a person is truly born again, they've got something on the inside that's imperishable. Say it with me. Imperishable. In other words, there's no end, right? There's no end to it at all. We are sowed with the incorruptible seed of God which cannot perish. I'm glad the Bible says that, and I'm glad the prophet reinforced that, and I'm glad that we believe that. I'm glad that we've experienced that. And so Satan will do everything he can to try to cause you to disbelieve that or doubt that, uh, try to discourage you in whatever way he can. But let me tell you, that's something you can take to the bank, that the people of God are born by an incorruptible seed, and it is absolutely imperishable. I'm glad for that today. Now, this process continues until uh, we come to a place of maturity, or what we refer to as a, a harvest. And uh, James describes this for us and says that that's what the husbandman waiteth for, is the precious fruit of the earth. So he's not waiting for apples and oranges. He's waiting for you as an individual to come to the place where uh, you're able to be plucked from this field, this growing field, and placed into the Father's kingdom where you belong. Right? So that's what he's waiting for. He's waiting for that bride uh, to come to maturity. We call this whole process the process of adoption. Now, in the natural, when a person is adopted, they're brought into a specific relationship. This is a new relationship, and it gives a person a name and a place and a privilege of being a son who is not a son by birth, or a daughter who's not a daughter by birth, but they get all the same rights and privileges uh, in the name of the family that adopted them, kind of like Moses was adopted in the palace by Pharaoh's daughter in the Bible. Uh, but uh, adoption is a great thing in the natural because it affords a person a relationship in a family, gives them every right to enjoy uh, the blessings of that family, and uh, it, it is a great thing, been a great thing for many, many children, many, many families. And so we're thankful for that. The Bible, though, had it first. And the Bible is an act of God's grace. Biblical adoption is an act of God's grace by which he brings men into a proper position in his redeemed family and makes them partakers of all the blessings he has provided for them. So it brings us back into the right place that we should be in relation to God. We're not in the physical place that we need to be, but, but spiritually we're in the right place in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Isn't that right? And he's at work in our lives. Adoption represents the new relations into which the believer is introduced by justification and the privileges connected therewith. God has a channel to you now. He has a connection to you. Because number one, you've been covered by the blood of Christ and your sins are gone. 
And because your sins are gone, He has a communion with you uh, because God never, ever communes with anyone except there is blood. In the Old Testament, do you remember when every time Moses went to the tabernacle, they sprinkled blood. The high priest always sprinkled blood because God didn't come down and commune with anybody unless there's blood as a sacrifice for sin. You, who have accepted the blood of Calvary's cross, once, forever, now have a communion or a channel open between yourselves and God, whereby He can come not only and visit you, but He can actually live in you. And He can transform you into a real, true Son of God, daughter of God, and bring us to that place where uh, we finally step over on the other side. So even though your outside may be deteriorating, and for some of you more rapidly than others, but because it's deteriorating is not an indication of what's going on on the inside. God is actually building and growing a new man on the inside and making that person strong so that he's able to step into eternity and to be no change of character whatsoever. Somebody ought to say amen. No change of character whatsoever. So what you love now, you'll love there. What you hate here, you'll hate there. What you enjoy here, what thrills you here, what you're passionate about here, is what you're passionate about over, you will be over there on the other side. Death doesn't change you. It only changes your dwelling place. It only changes the tabernacle that you're eventually going to live in forever. And that's a great thing. God does this by grace, right? He doesn't do it by works. He does it by grace. And He brings us into that relationship, uh, into that special relationship, and works on us. And He works on us because He loves us. Those I love, I rebuke and chasten. So He works on us because of His great love for us and brings us to that place of maturity. Remember, everything about what happens to you is about your spiritual growth. Everything that happens to you is a is an additive to, it's a fertilizer to the spiritual growth in your life. God wants you to become strong. He wants you to grow. And He wants you to become uh, powerful in the kingdom. He wants you to be an influence for the kingdom of God in this world. And I'm thankful for that. Now, there are, there are some uh, statements here that I want to uh, uh, highlight for you. And this is the one with the asterisks. So... Uh, this is one that I've mentioned to you before. We're supposed to represent, we, we're supposed to represent God and eternal life. Now, i got news for you. There's not a whole lot of people on the earth today representing the kingdom of heaven. But we have been called to be true representatives of the kingdom of heaven. And so, therefore, uh, there's only one form of eternal life. That's God, and we are products of His because we're genes of His Spirit. Therefore, therefore, if that's true, and, and in other words, if I'm a, if I'm a, uh, maybe an ambassador in another country, like uh, Brother Caleb here is the only person in this assembly today from Ghana. So in a sense, he represents Ghana. And, uh, you know, uh, we have a good feeling about Ghana because Brother Caleb is, is a, a good representative. Of if, if the people in Ghana are like him, I, I, I'd like to go to Ghana. I, you know, I, I think that's, that's, he's a good testimony. He's a good ambassador, wouldn't you say, for Ghana. And if you've ever sat down and talked to Brother Caleb and, uh, you know, just uh, interacted with him, you'd think, wow, that, you know, the people of Ghana are pretty, ni- pretty nice. Well, you really don't know that. You're just going by the ambassador, right? You're just going by the representative uh, of Ghana who's here. And it, it is true. There are many wonderful believers and wonderful people in Ghana. Now, r- understand, I'm saying that to say this, that you and I are representatives of another kingdom in this world. 
So therefore, many times, you are the only person, you're the only person people in this world are going to come in contact with who are true representatives of that kingdom. We want to do that right. There was a, a situation, that I, I never, um, I hope I'm, I'm okay in saying this, but uh, there was a, a person who was a, a, an acquaintance with my wife, she's not a believer, uh, she was an acquaintance with my wife, and uh, she had had uh, said some things, and and uh, was on social media and said some things, and uh, Sister Becky didn't respond negatively to her publicly, but went to her privately and just talked to her, and uh, even though there were things that were negatively said, uh, Sister Becky didn't cut her off. If she had something nice and positive to say, she'd send it to this lady and, and uh, still kind of kept her in the loop. You know, it just kept her, uh, was friendly to her, even though this lady had said some things that were not so nice. And uh, uh, the other day, uh, this lady put out a post on her uh, social media feed and said that she wanted to acknowledge a person who she thought was just a real genuine Christian. And she talked about Sister Becky on there and said, you know, this is what she did. She didn't cut me off. She was still very nice after things that I had said. And I, 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 she said, I can point to someone who's a real Christian uh, in this world. And it was just a really nice testimony that she had given and uh, kind of took her by surprise. And I thought, well, no, that, that doesn't really take me by surprise. But it's really nice when other people notice that. In other words, in other words, you, you, you may think, well, I'm just a church member and I just show up here and pay my tithes and come to dinners whenever they have them. But I will tell you something. You're, you're, you're really, you're really here for more than that. You are, you are here as a representative, but God is not finished honing you as a representative of, of the kingdom of God in this world, but also preparing you for your place in that world over there. And, and God, is actually, God is actually doing that. And that's a, that's a great thing. And so therefore, uh, Brother Bam said that we should be prepared for that. Let me go back to this. And we should conduct ourselves, men and women, young people, like the Bible said for us to do. Christian gentlemen, sons and daughters of God, born of the Spirit of God, manifesting the light and scattering it. Doing whatever we can to scatter the light in this world. That's a great thing for us to do. This is, in a sense, this is our commission. This is our commission for our time. This is what God wants us to do right now, is to scatter the light is to be a representative of the light and not be a hypocrite in doing it. Because you, you can't, uh, you know, you can't use foul language out of, out of one side of your mouth and witness the message and profess your love for it in the other side. Right? If, if, if we are born again, let me tell you, there's, a, there's an event that's taken place, an encounter with God, and uh, it's not just a church association, but it really is truly an experience with God. How many of you can relate to that? It's really an experience. It's a life-changing experience with God. And new life begins on the inside. And even when we, we make mistakes, even when we fail, there should be a readiness to repent for things that we have said or done wrong. Because we're still human. We're still in a human body, right? And we all make mistakes. None of us are perfect in the flesh. But I will tell you this, that, that a, a real Christian, he feels the conviction of the Holy Spirit when we do things wrong, and he's willing to make it right. Even if it's husband and wife, even if it's you know, uh, mother and father and child or whatever else, there's a willingness to make things right. <clears throat> I'm going to resist saying, using an example here, but let's, let's just look at this here. 1 Corinthians chapter 
2. Now I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures here real quick. You're welcome to look at me, look at these in the, in the book of Corinthians if you like. Paul spends some quality time in the, in the beginning especially of the book of Corinthians dealing with some of the things and correcting some of the things that the Corinthian people have allowed in their assembly things that are cultural and things that are spiritually incorrect. You remember in uh, one of the later chapters, you know, Paul talks about the gifts and the operation of the gifts. And he sets that in order. In another place, he said, you know, you're in church there, and he said there's a man who is in an immoral relationship uh, with his father's uh, wife or what, however that works. And, and, you know, he said, this, this should, not be, should not be so among you. And so he's correcting things. He's correcting things spiritually, morally, culturally within the church. And he, he's, he's setting things out in a very plain and a very simple way. So when it comes to the book of Corinthians, there are elements of correction that are in it. But the way that Paul does it, he introduces some really profound things. So let's take a look. He says, Brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. In other words, he said, I really wanted to be sure that I said the right thing to you to make sure that you were impressed with the right thing. Because when you say the right thing, God will honor that. When you, when you speak the right thing, God will get behind that. And God will cause that uh, to penetrate a person's heart and give them the kind of conviction they need to motivate them to become the right kind of a person. But he says, I'm saying that not out of my education or my background or anything like that. But he said, I'm speaking to you out of the, out of the Scripture, out of the Word of God, so that your faith would not stand in the wisdom of men, but rather it will stand in the power of God. And that's what he wanted the people to do. They have to come back to the absolute. You can't come back to what you, def- what you understand by default. You have to come back to the absolute. Does everybody understand? And so he says, I'm not coming to you with what I think. I'm not coming to you with my, trying to impress you with my education. I'm bringing you back to an absolute that whether I'm here or whether I'm not here, you'll be able to come back to that every time. And God will honor that when you do it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, Brethren, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as babes in Christ. So, he says, we have a ways to go. As I said, I think on Wednesday night, there's nothing wrong with being a baby in the season of infancy. The sad thing is when a grown-up person acts way below their age. Or, equally so, when a young person feels like uh, they don't have to respect anything that any adult says. They can do what they want. They can give the orders. They can uh, reject and rebel what their, uh, what their superiors say. Uh, that's, that's an equally incorrect attitude to have, right? I mean, God set it up the way that he did, and you are as old as you are for a reason. It's because God chose to pull the plug uh, pull, pull the trigger at, at your particular time. And then, you know what? Your first birthday happened. So if you have problems with that, you're going to have to talk to God when you get there. Okay? But there is a reason why children have parents. Young people have parents. There is a reason. And all the young people said, 
Amen. So Paul is saying that I, though, can't speak to you, as Brother Random commented, like the Ephesian church, because they're at a different place. It's not wrong, but we've got to deal with this now, where you are, and bring you to where you need to be. Now let me just say this. If just being born again and having the Holy Ghost is all you needed, then really Paul is wasting time in ministering to the people and helping them see it right and understand it right. But you know what? We need the ministry. We need the fivefold ministry. We need the church. Hello? We need each other. God's design is not for you all to have a tablet and stay home. That's not God's design. And the sad reality is that that's happening in parts of the world where tablets are distributed. People feel like, well, hey, I got the Bible, I got the, all the messages, I got everything I need, and got a connection to Jeffersonville and everything else. You know what? I'm good. You're not good. If there's a church, let me tell you, we are called to be a, a member of the community of the church. That's God's order. Isn't that right? The thing about that logic is that you will never find on that tablet, anywhere where Brother Branham says, once you get your tablet, then stay home. You don't have to pay your tithes. You don't have to go take communion, foot washing. You don't have to uh, rub shoulders with your brother. You don't have to do any of that. You will never find anywhere where Brother Branham says that. We need each other. We need to be praying one for another. We need to rub shoulders one with another. We need to work out our disagreements one with another. Come on. We need to go through things together. It is a really empowering and a, and a really supportive thing for us to have the community uh, of believers to be a, a part of. Let me tell you, there's something else that the, uh, that the church gives that you don't get by yourself, and that is the gift of worship. Worship does something for us. Wouldn't you agree? When you come together and you're in that atmosphere of worship, even if it's a handful of people, but they're singing in the Spirit, there's something about, uh, something about that that attracts the presence of God, and it does something for you. And uh, it, it's, it's a blessing beyond what I could describe here today, to be able to have music that's godly, and worship that's godly, and people in harmony together, uh, locked in together and believing the same thing and worshiping the same God. Let me tell you, he said, I'll be among you when two or three of you are gathered in my name. That's what he's referring to. Now, if you don't have a church and you can't have it, you know, you're not near one or whatever else, that, that's, that's a different thing. But for us, we have the benefit of being together. And there's a blessing in being together. And God honors people who will uh, honor His Word and coming together and having their assembly together. And if you haven't been together in the church for a while, uh, you learn to appreciate the church after a while. Isn't that right? When you're out. And, and so Paul is setting these things in order for the church here, and he says, I've fed you with milk and not meat, for uh, hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal, whereas uh, there is among you envy and strife and divisions, and are ye not carnal and walk as men. We are not, uh, as I mentioned on Wednesday night, our thinking has to be different than the thinking of the world. And so therefore, our, 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 our divisions or uh, the things that come up among us as believers, uh, we need to learn how to settle them in the right way, the differences and disagreements that we might have. And all human beings, 
if, if there's more than just you in the room, you're probably eventually going to have a disagreement, right? Even if it's just you and your wife. And uh, families have disagreements, and churches have disagreements, and uh, wherever people are gathered, there very often are. And Paul says, there's a way to think about this. There's a way to think about it carnally, and then there's a way to think about it as believers. And he's, he's going to help the believers to think about this in a scriptural and a spiritual way, and not just in a natural way. So he does not want this group to be behind in anything that God is doing. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that ye in every, that in everything ye be, ye are enriched, uh, by Him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. So he wants the church that in everything they would be enriched by Him, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what the, the ministry essentially uh, does on the earth is to rightly divide the word of truth, giving the people of God the word in due season. I thought I'd get an amen on that. Let's read what he says and we'll come to it. So that ye come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wants the church to be on the, uh, uh, in the place where the pillar of fire is actually moving. Remember now, in the Old Testament, that was God's principle, mentioned it many times. When the pillar of fire moves, they move. When the cloud moves, they moved, right? So God wanted them not to be behind, but He wanted them to be with the moving of God in a particular period of time. And Paul is saying exactly the same thing about the church. He doesn't want the church to lag behind. He doesn't want the church to be out of sync with what God's doing. He wants us to be right there. He doesn't want, listen, he does not want us to be in a Pentecostal mode like 1906 Pentecost. He doesn't want us to be there and unaware or ignorant of what God is doing today. Not that that was bad, but you know what? That's not for today. He doesn't want us to be a bunch of Wesleyans today because God's moved on from the message of Wesley. How many would agree? And, and because of that, God wants you to come behind in no gift. And in order to do that, he makes sure he brings somebody with the word of the hour to that group to bring them to where they need to be. Because we're all moving to a place of departure. We're moving to a place of stepping off. We're going to step off this world. We're going to step off uh, the brink of this life. And we're going to step into another kingdom, in another world, in another body. Isn't that right? And Paul wants everybody in the Corinthian church to be able to lock arms and step off with all the bride of Christ through the ages and come behind in nothing to be right in sync with God and whatever God is doing. I mean, that's what every real pastor wants as well. Every real pastor wants his people to be in sync and in harmony with God. We don't want to be uh, stuck back somewhere. We don't want to be denying the moving of the Holy Spirit today. It is a, I will tell you something, I've said it to you many times, it is a real comfort to me when I know uh, that, you know, I, I maybe travel to another country or another assembly, and, uh, you know, you're talking on a particular subject or a particular theme, and people are saying, my goodness, that's just exactly what we've been studying here. That's exactly what we've been going through here. And to me, that is a sign that the Holy Spirit is moving around the whole earth, and the ministry are staying in harmony or in step with that. Paul says, he will also confirm you unto the end, verse 8, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. God is faithful. By whom, 
It's all right. God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. So therefore, the ministry then, in a, in a very real way, as Paul, uh, this is where he uh, says in 2 Timothy, that uh, the ministry, he says, we should study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So the ministry possesses that gift to be able to rightly divide the word so the elect can understand. And if we can rightly understand it, we can rightly apply it so that we can be right in step with Almighty God. But remember now, the reason that that's there and the reason that the ministry is given to the church is because our default understanding sometimes needs correction. Our default understanding sometimes needs correction. God is wanting to make you a placed stone. I'm not going to read the whole quote. I've said before, Brother Branham said, that what good does a stone do if you haven't got a stone mason there with a sharp word to cut that stone into a placed stone for the building? There had to be... Uh, there always has to be, uh, you know, a stone mason. You remember when they built the temple in Solomon's time and they brought those stones. There was no stone, there was no sound of a hammer at the site where the temple was actually constructed. It was, it was molded and shaped according to a blueprint off-site and then brought into a place in the temple and fit perfectly. Hey, listen, we ought to, we ought to have this cry in our hearts. All you young people ought to say in your heart, and, and this should be something that flows through you on a daily basis. Lord, whatever it is you need to do to me to make me fit in your house, then Lord, do it now and do it, and may I have no, give you no resistance concerning that whatsoever. Whether it's about my finances or about my hair or about my, uh, my, my dedication or my commitment or my attitude or whatever else. Lord, if there's some edge of me that will not fit when it comes to that time of stepping off and being a part of that kingdom over there. Lord, shape that now. Shape it quickly and do whatever is needed to do to make me fit perfectly when it comes time to fit. I want to be a fit stone. I want to be a true stone. I want to have my place. And I want to be able to fit into it without resistance. That's what I want to have. And Brother Bram said, what's the point of, of, of just a pile of stones? He said, we need to have that which establishes us in the right place. Now, <clears throat> let, me just, um, let me just very quickly here. Brother Branham, in desperation, this is the evening service from the token in 1963. And Brother Branham uh, defined the token here just in summary. He was talking about the morning sermon. And he said, the token is the token. It's you and Christ as persons together. Well, if it's me and him together, then as partners, as united, I want to be able to consult him in every decision that's made, in every choice. And decisions are important, as I mentioned on Wednesday night. We went through all of that. Decisions are important. The choices you make are important. Some of your choices have long-term consequences. I gave you some of the examples of some of the young people who were involved in relationships that they had questions about. Now, I'll tell you something about young people who ask questions. Sometimes when they're going through things, they'll say, what if, what if a person, just say a person, or I know a person who, I know a guy who is going through this, and naturally they're deflecting it from themselves. Now, I'm not saying that you would do that, but I'm just saying that very often that's how questions are asked. 
The problem is, is that sometimes we, we can make poor decisions based on how we feel rather than really what's God's will for our life. The only way we're going to correct that, the only way we're going to do better at that is to become persons together with him. It's the Holy Spirit, his life in you, working his own life through you. That's the only way we're going to make really good, successful decisions. That's the only way we're going to make decisions that are going to last long term. I don't know about you, but I'm in this for the long run. I'm in this for the long haul. And we want to make decisions that are right. Now listen, as parents, you're making decisions now for your young children. But there comes a point where they're going to have to make decisions for themselves. And it's at that point that they better have a partnership with Christ. They better have the token in order to make decisions when you are not there. When you give them the keys and you give them, you know, they they have a job and uh, they have independence, they have a growing sense of independence, your influence is going to diminish over them. Resist as much as you want. If you can try to, you know, hold them and retain them, I did. I mean, I think all real loving parents do, and I I certainly did try to uh, coerce my boys, bribe them. Uh, I, I gave them what you know all kinds of things, and and still doing that. And because uh, you know, I, I we 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 were very close. Our family is very sorry. Our family is very close, and we uh, you know we we never wanted to see our boys leave. And uh, that's just the way it is. But I will tell you this. If and when they go, or if you've got a daughter and some Yahoo shows up here in church and, oh, Brother Coffee, I've heard about your ministry, wanted to come and visit for a long time. Yeah, right, you liar. We have ways of handling fellows like you. We have brothers that want to talk to you. When that happens, and try as you might, I mean, it would be great to be able to prevent that from happening. But try as you might, our children are going to grow into an, a season of independence. And it's in that season that they're going to be faced with choices without you there to help them. And they've got to have this in order to make right choices. Because wrong choices can mark them forever. As a young person... I made choices that were irresponsible that I still feel today because I was stupid and I did stupid things. I had a degree in stupid. And let me tell you, as funny as that sounds, I still feel the consequences of some of the things that I did. Not proud of them at all. And, you know, by God's grace, you young people that are here that have avoided lots of that garbage that I went through in my own life, and some of you did as well, I will tell you something. You have a great opportunity and a great foundation, a great clean start in order to be able to make decisions for the future uh, that will really uh, make life easier for you in the long run. But it's not logical. It's not intellectual. It is a spiritual relationship that, that is grown between you and Christ, that allows you to be able to make the right choices, even when you don't always agree with what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do. You learn a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. You learn what His, what His delight is. And that's what we want to have. Now, just, just as a footnote here, there is a story uh, that is found in the Old Testament. And you remember when David takes the throne, you, you don't need to turn to it, but you'll find it in Second Samuel chapter 9. It's the story of Ziba. 
And uh, Ziba was a servant of Jonathan, who was the son of Saul. Everybody know where, where I am. And back in that story, David calls, after he's sitting on the throne, he calls for anyone who's left alive out of the house of Jonathan. Because you remember, he promised Jonathan that if, I be, if and when I become king, I will look after your family if you're not here. And so he calls for Ziba and says to Ziba, is there anybody left of, of uh, uh, Jonathan's family, Saul, the, the house of Saul? And uh, Ziba says, yes, well, there's one Mephibosheth, and he's the son of uh, Jonathan, and he's the boy who was crippled, do you remember? And uh, he's, he's still alive. And so David says, well, bring him to me. And so the, uh, Ziba brings him in, and, uh, you know, they establish this connection, and he makes promises to, to Mephibosheth, and he says, and you'll always eat at my table. You'll always be welcome at my table, you and your, and your sons. And uh, so that happened, and that went on for a number of years. Ziba, though, was an interesting character because he's right there. And you can read the story in several different chapters that spread out there uh, in, in the Old Testament. But Ziba is a person who's right there. He's a, he's a servant of uh, Jonathan. He's a servant of Mephibosheth. And he's now living. He has many sons and many servants himself. He's kind of a chief servant. He's not just a, a lackey. He's a chief servant. He has many people under him. And he's right there with Mephibosheth. He's right there in the, in the palace. He's right there listening to King David speak. And there's a point in the scripture where all of a sudden they meet Ziba. David's going down the road with his entourage. And they meet Ziba. And Ziba is on his way with a great big offering basket. And they ask him, said, hey, where are you going? And Ziba he, he lies and he says, oh, this is for the king and his soldiers and we want to make sure everybody's uh, well fed. Where he was really going was to bring it to Absalom because he had no revelation really of who David was. But because Absalom was a popular guy at the time, Ziba is going right down to Absalom's camp to join him. But David happened to meet him on the road. All I'm saying is this is that there can be people really in close to what God is doing and still have no clue what's taking place. Just because you're here physically doesn't mean that you're in tune with what God's doing. And Ziba's standing there looking at all the circumstances and he says, you know, David's getting old and he's got controversy about him and all the rest of it. I'm going to go with Absalom because, you know what, Absalom's a very handsome guy and he's a really sharp speaker. And so Ziba's influenced by that. He's not got what he needs in order to make good decisions. And he's going down to side with Absalom. And David stops him on the side of the road. Let me tell you something, saints of God. Just because people are around the message doesn't mean that they're in tune with what God's doing. And you and I all had to be careful, and our children had to be very careful, that just because we've grown up around it, and that's all we've ever heard, means that they have a revelation. Let me tell you, a revelation comes because, because the Holy Spirit reveals Himself personally to you. And let me tell you, that channel is opened up because of a new birth. It's not opened up because you're here. It's not opened up because you got yourself an empty seat here this morning. It opens up because you're one with Christ. It opens up because you're a child of God. And so therefore, it's important for us to remember that. Now, let me, let me give you a, a, just a little statement here. This is Matthew 3. And uh, when John the Baptist came through, he told the people, he said, prepare the way of the Lord and make 
your paths straight. Make his paths straight. Now, this phrase I've mentioned to you before in the biblical times was whenever a king came through the, the region, they would send runners ahead of the king and take rocks out of the road because roads were not paved and they didn't have interstates back then. So the, the servants would run ahead and take the big stones out of the way uh, so the chariot could pass by without much damage and without much bouncing around. That was the way that they made the way for the king to come through. And so John the Baptist is using that statement or that analogy to say, uh, you know, the Messiah is coming. And so therefore we want to take anything out of the way, anything out of the way that would hinder the moving of the Savior right now. Something's happening right now. We need to make sure that the paths are straight. We need to make sure that everything is out of the way. John's message is a message of repentance. You'll find it here in verse 2. Repent ye. And so the idea is that whenever Satan can do it, listen, whenever Satan can do it, he's going to put an obstruction in the way. You want to make your path straight. Look, folks, over time, rocks tumble into the roadway. Over time, trees fall. Over time, debris accumulates. How many can relate to that? Your job is to keep the path straight. Your job is not to fix everything and to heal everything and do the supernatural part. God will do that. You just got to make a path that's straight or clear or smooth as possible for Him to come. You got things in your life you need to get out? Get them out. You got things in the way that make life rocky for you? Get them out. You need things that Satan is trying to sow in your life? You want to put, you want to put up barriers and get those things out because the way needs to be as straight as possible. That was John's message there. He said, you're the ones. Prepare ye the way of the Lord and make His path straight. Your job is to make the path smooth for the Savior to come. Your job is to make sure that Christ has an easy access into your life. Isn't it true that if I owned a house, I was the owner of the house, and I rented it to Brother Caleb, and we had a proper contract uh, made, and he had the key. And even though I owned the house, I couldn't just go in the house any time. I'd had to have his permission first, right, if we had a proper contract. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be right? That'd, legally, that would be sound. I just can't walk into the house and say, hey, this is my house, out of the way. Get out of that bed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this or do something else. I can't do that. Even though I own the house, I can't do that. Don't you understand, the same is true of what the relationship is with us in Christ. You have to invite Him in. Brother Branham used the sermon, Doors in Door. You know, he said, there are doors that you can shut and keep Him out. You're the one that's got to open up the doors. You're the one that's got to make an entrance for Him. Are you following me? You're the one that's got to open up the way. You're the one that's got to give permission. You're the one that's got to seek Him and invite Him to come and say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Because Brother Branham said he's a gentleman. He just doesn't barge his way in. He's a gentleman. Isn't he also in Hebrews 12 a high priest that's waiting to be called upon? Isn't he that? Sure he is. And so therefore, even though he owns it all, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, he still wants you to invite him in. There's something you need to do in order to invite him and have him come close. So now, straight paths are important here because stuff comes up. 
Let me give you an example. I'm going to paraphrase this, so don't read this just yet. When the children of Israel came to the promised land and crossed over, some of them were shepherds. Some of them had flocks. And as a result of uh, the children of Israel coming into the land of Israel, and they had places allotted for them. Uh, remember in the, in the uh, time when uh, Jacob had uh, all the his wives cried out, and, and they were foretelling where the sons of uh, their sons would be and so forth in, the, in their placement in the promised land. When they came into the land, two and a half tribes decided to stay on the other side of the River Jordan for their work. And those two tribes, those two and a half tribes, were the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh. And they stayed on the other side of Jordan. Now, when this occurred, uh, the rest of the tribes of the children of Israel rose up. Matter of fact, the Bible says in one place that they went and got their swords, and they were going to put them to death because they didn't cross over Jordan. And so this matter, when it came up, it was a disagreement within the body. This was something that was problematic. It was, it was perhaps what, what they viewed as a, an act of insurrection or disobedience against God, and they figured it would bring wrath down upon the whole camp of Israel. And as a result, the believers who were on the right side of the Jordan River, they were all going to come and by force take them and move them over and back on the other side. And rather than get attorneys for both sides, they settled this matter themselves. This is a matter between brothers, between tribes. And they settled this matter because... Back in the Old Testament, most often, disputes were settled by the word of the Lord. Disputes among people were settled by the word of the Lord. I'm just telling you the pattern, all right? So, in Joshua chapter 22, now, here's where you need your Bible. If you don't, I don't have it all here, so grab your Bible. Let's go to Joshua 22. Let's just take a little reading here. Find out what happens. Joshua 22, we'll begin reading at verse 21. The children of Reuben and the children of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh answered and said unto the heads of thousands of Israel. Uh, again, now they had, the, the, the rest of the tribes were accusing them of being uh, rebellious. You'll read that in verse 18. And, and so they, they said, hey, you guys have even built an altar over here. You built an altar on this side of the river Jordan. They said, what is that? They said, now, you know, people are going to be worshiping. We're supposed to worship in God's chosen place. And now here you are over here with an altar over on the other side. So, verse 23. No, 22. And the Lord, Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knoweth. And Israel, he shall know it. If it be in rebellion or if it be in transgression against the Lord, save us not this day. So remember now, this is the, the children of Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh responding. This is what they said. Lord, don't save us today if we are in rebellion here. 23, that we have built us an altar to turn from following the Lord or to offer thereon burnt offerings or meat offerings or to offer peace offerings thereon. Uh, let Let the Lord himself require it. If we start another church, 
If, if this is perceived as a church split and we're taken off and starting another place and offering burnt offerings on this altar, they said, hey, let the judgment of God fall on us. That's not what we're doing. 24, and if we have not rather done it for fear of this thing, saying, in time to come when your children might speak unto our children and say, uh, what have ye to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made Jordan a border between us and you. And ye children of Reuben and children of Gad have no part in the Lord. So shall your children make their children cease from fearing the Lord. What about in generations to come? And now all of a sudden you're over on this other side over here. And what are our children going to say? 26. And therefore we said, let us now prepare to build us an altar, not for burnt offering, nor for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between us and you that we might do the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings and with our sacrifices and with our peace offerings that your children may not say to our children in time to come, ye have no part in the Lord. So yes, we are setting up an altar, but this altar is only a witness that there is a real altar in Jerusalem. Are we okay? And they said, we're not starting another church, and we're not starting another form of worship, and we don't have another priesthood or something else like that. They said, this is only a witness that our children on this side of the River Jordan could always see an altar that ties them to the real altar in Jerusalem. And they said, that's all it's for. We are not trying to raise up some sort of a new faith or a new doctrine or new anything else. And they confirmed that. They said, that's what this altar is for. It's not for sacrifice. It is simply here for a witness. It is no different uh, than for us, you know, to uh, set up, for instance, if uh, Brother John Cockman, just as an example, all right? You make sure you tell John this is just an example. But if he wanted to uh, have a tent and hold some meetings up in the mountains up there and do some evangelism and outreach in that area up there, hey, you know what? If, if, that was, if that was Brother John's motive, you know, to do that and to have some outreach and meetings out there, hey, I'd, I'd help buy the tent. I'd help do what I could to establish him to be able to do that kind of an outreach out there. And if there was a group that formed and then he eventually wanted to have, uh, you know, a, a, a little group there or something, I, this is just what if, all right? Everybody got that? And, and have a little, a little, you know, a little satellite church out there, a little, little group out there, and then sovereignly begin to do their own thing. Hey, listen, isn't that what the Great Commission is? That's being done in our world today. Some of you, most of you probably don't know Brother Harold Beckett in Cape Town, South Africa. Brother Harold, uh, matter of fact, we bought a tent for him to send to Zambia a few years ago. Remember me showing you the brother who had the tent? I bought that from Brother Beckett in South Africa because they have so many ministers in their church going out with tents. They found a tent maker in Cape Town who makes their tents and delivers the tents wherever he tells them to go. And these ministers go out in communities and begin to witness and hold service in the tent. And eventually little churches grow up there and uh, so forth. They eventually, you know, move. Someone else takes the tent and goes somewhere else. You know what that is? That's evangelism. Hello? And, and this is what they're saying. That we are not trying to start another church somewhere. We are tied to the body of Christ. That's what they're saying. We are tied to the body of Christ. But we want to have our children to see an altar because we want them to know we worship at the altar of the one true God. We don't have multiple altars. We have one real altar. And this one is only a reminder that there's another altar in Jerusalem. And that's God's chosen place of worship. And that's where we worship together. And so he says, 28, Therefore said we, 
that it shall be when they should say to us, to our generations in time to come, that we may say, Behold the pattern of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings, nor for sacrifices, but it is a witness between us and you. God forbid that we should rebel against the Lord. Now, if you go down to the bottom of 30, it says that when they heard this, and the high priest Phineas, who was there, when they heard that, it said, it pleased them. And Phineas and the son of Eleazar, the priest, and the children of Reuben, children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh, this day we perceive that the Lord is among us, because we, ye have not committed this trespass against the Lord. Now ye have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. So in other words, they're listening to this, and here are the high priests and the elders and the ministers, and they're listening to this, and they say, you know what, we believe you. We believe that this is, not, this is of the Lord. And they're making a decision. Are you with me? They're making a decision here based on what they're hearing and what they're seeing. And this is among them. They're not bringing in attorneys. They're not bringing in consultants. Uh, they're not Googling uh, similar responses in other uh, nomadic tribes. Uh, they're not doing that at all. They're just listening to this and they're just trusting that God will lead them in the right path, make, make the right decision, and, and they do it. Well, let's look at the outcome of that, all right? Because remember, that's important. It's not so much important that people do what they think is right. You want to see up the road, how does that manifest? itself right so we go in first chronicles which is hundreds of years later and it says uh this is david now near ziklag and he's going into battle and it says and of naphtali a thousand captains and then which uh with a shield and spear and seven thousand and of the Dan- danites Expert in war, 20 and 8,600. And of Asher has went forth to battle. Expert in war, 40,000. And on the other side of Jordan are the Reubenites, Gadites, and half of the tribe of Manasseh, with all manner of instruments of war uh, for the battle and 120,000 soldiers that were ready to go. And all these men of war that could keep rank come with a perfect heart to Hebron to make David king over all Israel. And all the rest of Israel were of one heart to make David king. So even though they had their household on the other side of the river Jordan, they were still united with the, with the camp of Israel and with the nation of Israel. They were at one with them. And even hundreds of years later, they're still with one heart to make David king over all Israel. Now eventually they came over on the other side. Eventually they all moved over on the other side because now that's Jordan uh, on that side of the river over there. But in other words, when they had a dispute amongst themselves... They listened, they prayed, they sought God, and they waited to find out what the answer was. Is that okay? That's a good thing. Land disputes in the Old Testament were settled by the word of the Lord. Land disputes in the Old Testament were settled by the word of the Lord. There were many things that were settled by the word of the Lord. That's why God gave them commandments. It affected their civil life. It affected their spiritual life. It affected their moral life. God gave them commandments that they could follow them. So now here's Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Here's where you need to turn to chapter 6. And when it comes to believers, should believers be involved in litigation among themselves over land disputes or something else, which is what the issue was in the Corinthian church here, Paul says, dear any of you having a matter against one another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints. Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge even the smallest matters among you? 
What have you got the Holy Ghost for? What, what's the good of the Holy Ghost if it doesn't teach you how to settle disputes? How to deal with things in a godly way? Now look, if somebody's trying to burn down the church, right? Or if somebody embezzles money, which happened here. It happened here before I got here. Somebody tries to, tried to, somebody did embezzle money from the church. Then you know what? There are, there are legal consequences for things. If you violate the law, I mean, if you, you, you're going to reap what you sow, right? So if you try to burn down the church, uh, if the police catch you, you know, you're probably going to be in trouble. I mean, we can pray for you, but you're probably going to go to court. The brother who attempted to, or who did embezzle money from this church before I got here, I had nothing to do with this thing at all. Everybody okay? The brothers in the church here knew they had a right to pursue him legally, but didn't. They extended grace and they forgave him. It didn't help him. It didn't profit him anything because I know the end result of the story, but it, it didn't profit him at all. But the brothers who were in charge of this church before I got here, they decided to forgive him. And that's not a bad thing to do. In this case, it was the right thing to do because it didn't hurt the progress of the church, didn't hinder anything, our church was still built and all of that. Now, Paul is asking the question here, what really is the point of you having the Holy Ghost? I mean, if you can't adjudicate and you can't make decisions and choices and if you can't deal with things among you here, what's the point? I mean, don't you know that the saints will judge the world? Know ye not, ye which shall judge angels, how much more things that pertain to this life. Hey, didn't I read that in the text out of Peter, where Peter said he would give us all things that pertain unto life and godliness? The wisdom that we have to use, the, the, the good judgment, the ability to make good decisions, is not yours because you're smart. It's yours because God gave it to you. And God, God puts it in the package with the Holy Ghost that he baptized you with. Are we okay? And so therefore Paul says we should use this, use this in judgment of matters that come among us. As a matter of fact, I'd like to say this. I think we should have enough Holy Ghost to say that no matter what, I'm going to strive to stay right in the eyes of God even if I'm considered wrong in this life. If I'm falsely accused or if I'm misunderstood or our church is somehow misunderstood, like they come to us and say, well, you know, you have this attitude towards women and we heard William Branham say this and we heard something else and say, we can't deny that Brother Branham said it. We have a revelation of why he said it. But you know what? I would rather stay right with God than stay wrong, stay right with God, rather than try to stay right with unbelievers. I hope you understand what I'm saying. My first obligation is all pleasing unto Him. That's my first obligation, is to do things that's pleasing unto Him. And even, listen, folks, and this is not 
This is just something for you to think about because it will require more time than what I've got this morning. But I'd just like to say this. Even when it comes to issues of divorce and remarriage, I think, I think it's an important thing for us to consider the fact that even if, for instance, a husband and wife here in this church, they might have a disagreement. I think with the Holy Ghost among us, we should do everything we possibly can as a couple and as you know, ministry and so forth. I believe we should do everything we can to reconcile that rather than try to get the best divorce settlement possible. Because you know what that is? That's the thinking of the world. The thinking of the world is hire the best divorce attorney you can, get the best settlement, get all you can, and get out. I, hey, listen, I've had believers tell me that. I'm not, I'm not making it up. I've had believers tell me that. And I'm thinking the heart of God is not about, is not about divorce. The heart of God is about reconciliation. The heart of God is about speaking to each other with kindness. Oh, you say, Brother Barry, you're so... Can I give you a, a Bible verse? Would that be all right? Down, I'm running out of time. 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaker, speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. What have you been given the Holy Ghost for? Take your Bible for a minute. Hold your finger there. Go to Malachi. Sorry to hold you a little longer than what I intended here, but just just for a moment. Malachi uncovers something that the children of Israel tried to cover up real good, but you can't cover up things from God. Look at verse four, uh, sorry, chapter 1, verse 6. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father which is mine, which is mine honor? If I, am your, if I am the father of Israel, that's what God is saying to them. If I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I, if I be a master, where is my fear? Who respects me? saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that despise my name. And you say, wherein have we despised thy name? He said, you offer polluted bread upon mine altar. And you say, wherein have we uh, polluted me? In that you say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. Now, what's he talking about? Let's go over to chapter 2 and verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously? That word treacherously You're going to run into it here four or five times in this one chapter is the word deceitful. Why do you lie every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah hath dealt treacherously and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. He's talking about something specific here. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord which which he loved and hath married the daughters of a strange God. The Lord will cut off the man that doeth this, the master and the scholar, out of the tabernacle of Jacob, him that offereth an offering unto the 
Lord of Hosts. Doesn't matter who it is. If you're guilty of this problem, uh, you know this, there'll be consequences for this. And this have you done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears and weeping and crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering of any more, not the offering any more, or he receive it with good will at your hand. Yet ye say, forgive me for reading this, but I want you to get it. Wherefore, because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth against whom thou hast dealt deceitfully, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant, and did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed? Therefore take to your spirit, take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously or deceitfully against the wife of his youth. You know what they were doing? This is written in the time of Nehemiah, when they were rebuilding the temple. And when they were under the dominion of a foreign government, there was lots of foreign women around. And the Israelites were turning their back on the covenant of God and divorcing, finding reasons to divorce their Jewish wives and take the pretty women from Babylon and marry them. And that's what he's referring to when he says they turned the back on the covenant of our fathers and now you're dealing treacherously against the companion of thy youth and the companion of the covenant. You made a covenant before God. And God put this in here because he wanted to raise up a holy seed. He wanted to have children who were born of two Jewish parents. But you're finding excuses. And if you go back to Nehemiah 13, you ought to read that in conjunction with this. Nehemiah, he goes back and he looks at those people back there. He was away, comes back, and he says, Hey, what's all this with the marriage, divorce, and remarriage? And he says, I separated them. He says, I tore my garments. And, uh, you know, he says, I physically separated them. And uh, I did this and I did that. And Nehemiah was very upset with this. And now here's Malachi writing to the people and saying, Hey, listen. You folks were in a covenant relationship, but because of the influence of the world that you were in or the circumstances around you, you got rid of those wives, got yourselves a new foreign model out of this uh, country here and uh, young pretty women, and now you're all married this, and justifying yourselves before God, coming to church and weeping at the altar and saying, Lord, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so glad I can say I'm one of them. And God says, hey, if I'm your father, where's my respect? If I'm your master, where's the fear? Who in the world do you think you are, you know, to uh, try and deceive me with your religious actions and bring in offerings to the altar and all of that? Who, who do you think you are? Now, Paul is saying, listen, Paul is saying over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you have your Bible still open there, he's saying, what have we got the Holy Ghost for if it's not to help us to live a godly life? You're acting like the people in the world around you. When it comes to a dispute... When it comes to issues within the uh, local body here. First Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 13. Meats for the belly and belly for the meats. God shall destroy both it and them. But the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. 
The same principle that brought Jesus from the dead is the same thing that's going to bring you from the dead. The same quickening power. And know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ. Shall I then make the members of, uh, members of Christ? Take the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? God forbid. What know ye not? That which is joined to an harlot is one body. For two saith he shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Starting... Uh, for this for this entire chapter, Paul is letting us know that in verse 19, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Take heed to your spirit, as he says over in Malachi over here, and don't deal deceitfully with people. Paul is saying, you've... You've got what the people in the Old Testament didn't have. You've got the Holy Ghost not above you, but you've got him within you to help you make decisions about your temple and about your relationships and about settling disputes and about the doctrine in the church and about your conduct and about how you treat one another and about how you speak to one another. This is more than just about going to law one to another. Do you understand? Paul is summarizing some very important principles here and giving the people the instruction that they need because if, if we do not, listen, if we do not utilize, if we do not yield to the Holy Spirit that's in us, you will default to the ways of the world. If you do not, listen, if you do not wait on God instead of waiting on Google You'll get your information from here and what everybody else is doing. What do we do in this case right here? You know, and we got a church problem, we got this or something else. In other words, people are influenced by the culture around them. The Corinthians were very influenced by the world around them because the Greek culture was so strong and athletic and built on, on beauty and looks and all the rest of it. And we know where all of that went. And Paul is saying, yes, you're surrounded by all of that. And yes, they think a certain way. And yes, your default thinking was just like theirs. But you know what? You've been bought with a price. And now that Holy Ghost lives inside you. My goodness, let's begin to conduct ourselves not like the world, but like Christ. You cannot default to the default. You have to default to the absolute. That's what you actually are. You are just a temple for the Holy Spirit to live out the principles of the kingdom of God in this world. And that's what you need to do. He says, you are temples of the living God. Wow. So no wonder Brother Branham says that we should conduct ourselves like real Christians, sons and daughters of God. How can you do that? How can you possibly do that unless, unless... You are uh, filled with the Holy Spirit and, and uh, you know, just allowing the Holy Spirit to flow through you and respond His way. Lord, let my character match that kingdom. Lord, let me respond the way you would respond. Let me have wisdom. Let me wait on you like Jesus waited on you. Let me wait on you like uh, the, 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 the saints in the, in the Bible waited on you and how Brother Branham would wait on you, like I mentioned Wednesday night. Brother Branham would take his invitations and lay them on the desk and he said, I'd walk around them, I'd look at them, I'd go off for two days and pray and come back. And he said, I'd be looking there because I just don't want to have an impression and I just don't want to have a feeling like, I really like that country and I really like those people there. He said, I want to go where God wants me to go because there's going to be opposition wherever I go and I want to be able to stand there and say, nope, doesn't matter what Satan does, God sent me here. 
And that's a man who's waiting on God. That's a man who's a temple that God can use because he's willing to wait on God and to lean on God. What have we got the Holy Ghost for if it doesn't cause us to seek the right things and choose the right things and to decide right things? Let's stand to our feet. To me, that's, <clears throat> it is not just the important factor. It is the essential. It's, it's, the, it's the factor that uh, it, it begins everything. And from there we live out. We live out the expression of Christ. From there we say, Lord, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what our commission is. That's what our desire is. To be able to live things out his way. Paul takes that whole chapter and tells the Corinthian church, you can join with this, and you can join with that, and you can join with other things here, but he says, we want to make sure that we join with Christ and become one with him. Because he said that union will produce the best things. You don't want to join with a harlot. He says with fornication, all those things, he said, they're all temporal things. Belly for the meats, meats for the belly, so it's all going to be destroyed. All those things, all those uh, relationships, illicit relationships, all that will be destroyed. That will be gone. What's going to last, what's going to matter is your relationship with Christ. It's not according to how you, uh, you know, understood it in the world. This is not how the world thinks. But now we have the mind of Christ. So he's encouraging the saints of God now to make a turn, make a shift. That we don't want you to come behind in any gift here. We don't want you to be just carnal as babes here. But we want you to grow up now and join yourselves to Christ. Let's make decisions that way. That would be the best thing. That would be the right thing. How many would agree? That would be the right thing. It's not in trying, but in trusting. Let's sing that this morning. Let's just worship him together, saints, a little bit this morning. I I tell you what, I'm glad we've been called into the light we have. I'm glad glad we have the Holy Spirit. Those of us that have it, I'm glad we have it. I, I will tell you this with all of my heart. If we have it, we should use it. We should yield to it. Lord, speak to my heart. Lord, teach me. Lord, reveal your word to me. Lord, help me make decisions about my family as you would make them. Because that's what he's in you for, is to guide you through this life. Not only to get you out, but to impact the world that he placed you in. To impact the world around you. Be a witness for the kingdom. Absolutely. Let's sing it this morning. It's not in trying, but in trusting. Oh, it's not in running, but in resting. And it's not in wondering, but in praying. That we find the strength of the Lord. It's not in trying, but in trusting. It's not in running, but in resting. And it's not in wondering, but in praying. That we find the strength 
of the Lord. One more time. It's not in, but in trusting. No, oh, it's not in, but in resting. That we find the strength of the Lord, and He's my Lord. Jaron, you come on. There is no other one who can calm the storms of life. sing that this morning. Paul is saying to them, hey, disputes arise within among brothers. That, that happens. That's not the problem. How you respond to that is the problem. Right? Because Satan tries to get in whatever way he can. Satan will try to make clicks in churches. Right? It's how we respond to that. That's what matters. That's what makes the difference. There's disagreements doctrinally that happen. It's how we respond to that. That's not surprising that those things would be there. But it's how we respond to that. Paul is saying, hey, you're, you're, not, you're not people like the world. You're not, you're not, you don't think like that. He says, you think a different way. And so he says, therefore, we're going to apply this here. We're going to look at the, the laws of God. We're going to apply these here where they belong. That's the right thing for us to do. So we want to come back. We want to come back to God's way. We want to come back to the absolute. We want to come back to the things that God has taught us. And that's, what, that's what's important. Right? That's what's important. Coming back to the heart of worship. Let's sing it this morning. Jaron, help me out here. When the music fades and all this slips away, I simply call. Longing just to breathe something that's a word that will bless your heart. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the resources you place within the reach of the church. Lord, as a church, we want to exercise wisdom and making correct choices. And Lord, to be led by you and to prevent any foothold that the enemy try to might make within an assembly. Lord, sometimes for us, we, we are challenged, Lord, to even think differently, to think on a higher level. To think above how we normally would think and look at things. Lord, we know with the mind of Christ it's possible. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just just pour yourself out upon us as, as an assembly, Lord, to be able to endure the change in circumstance, to be able to endure, Lord, different things that might might cause some sort of a an upset, Lord, within the body. 
Lord, you are greater than any trouble we can face. You are greater, Lord, than any obstacle in the road. Lord, may we learn to make our path straight. May, Lord, we turn to you, Lord, at, at every instance. And, Lord, allow you to impart the wisdom that's needed. We thank you, Lord, for the Holy Ghost and what it leads us to do and what it challenges us to believe. For, Lord, we, we are not just placed on this earth here as puppets. And, but, Lord, you, you have given us this, the choice to make decisions. You've given us choices. You've given us liberty as the sons and daughters of God. Lord, we want to exercise that in a right way, in a godly way. We love you and we thank you, Lord, for your many great blessings. And thank you, Lord, for the provision you've given to the church. We ask now, Lord, that you would bring healing to all those who need it, Lord. There's so many names on these lists, Lord, so many people that are touched, so many families that are involved. Lord, we know that you are greater than any sickness that strikes this earth. So we commit the people and their needs to you. And ask in Jesus' name that you would draw near to them, Lord, and bring comfort and relief to these symptoms. Father, it's our desire to be able to assemble and to be able to come together. And we just ask now that you would just give strength to those who need it, allow your healing virtue to flow to those who need it. And Father, may nothing hinder the moving of the Lord in all these different homes that are represented. We thank you. We appreciate you so much. Ask your blessing upon the saints through this week. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all the people said, How great is our God? Sing it with me. How great is our God? How great is our God? Just uh, before you go, I wanted to show you uh, all the renovations that are going on in the sanctuary over there, uh, just, in, just in case you're curious. And uh, we wanted to show you this. It won't take long. 
This is removing the ceiling. All the cottage cheese. guys are good. (laughs) Rolling on the floor. It's all part of it. That's John Harwell, Jeremy, right? That's uh, Peter is there. Uh, Henry is there. Looks like Lincoln is there, right? It's a messy, that's a messy, messy job. So there's nothing left in there. They're going to take up the carpet. It's all going to be new. Uh, It's going to be new uh, colors in there. Lord willing, we'll have uh, new chairs possibly as well and uh, new lighting. It'll be very different. And, and what we thought we'd do just to throw everyone off is to take all of the rocks that are on the sides of the baptistry and rearrange them to make new images. I had no idea this was an issue in our church. I had no idea that this was something that people did in our church. I thought they were listening all these years. I thought they were listening. And here they were tracing shapes with the rocks. So we decided we'd move them all. And now you have to make new shapes. Let's stand to our feet. That's our progress. And we're very thankful for all the work that's gone into that. And uh, very thankful for all the uh, uh, progress that's been made here in the first week. So you pray for those fellows that are working, especially Brother John uh, Harwell, if you don't mind. And uh, let's sing that little chorus, I will praise the Lord, and then we'll let you go here. You can leave as we sing this this morning. May God bless you. Thank you for being here. I will praise the Lord.